This is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'd like to welcome Bones from Dread Sovereign. Thank you for joining us on the show, my man. Cheers, Richie. Thank you very much for having me and taking the time. Yeah, and you are over in Belgium. Yeah, I'm in Brussels right now. I've, Brussels, been, I've been living here the last couple of years. How are you finding that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking cool. I have a lot more opportunities here than I would at home in certain things. Um, uh, on the on the on the flip side as well, in the last well, I guess like the last year, it has become some sort of crazy fucking police state. Mm. Uh, cops are fucking pretty intense these days. Uh, but other than that, it's good. It's good. I got a really nice job. I got a really nice apartment. Really nice place. So, yeah, and Friends like and compared to you were living in Dublin, I presume. Were you in Dublin? Yeah, I was born and in Dublin for years and then spent a lot of it just the last couple of my 20s just kind of traveling around and kind of just between tours and festivals, just always being away. Basically, just I think I was just drunk and high for from about 27 to 33 or so. Mm. <laughs> I got all that out of my out of the way when I was 21, 22, 23, you know. Oh, well, yeah, I, I started doing this when I was like 14 and I still haven't learned my lessons. So. <laughs> I think I started, yeah, I was, I was playing in bands by the time I was 14 and like turn around like Ireland when I was like, you know, still in school and shit. So as soon as I could, I just ran with it. But yeah, no, Brussels is cool. For the most part, it's relaxed. Like the, the music scene, the art scene and stuff is a lot more fun. There's a lot more, there's a lot more venues and kind of support for what we do. Yeah, and is there a good support structure if you wanted yeah. to make a living as an artist? Oh, totally, totally, yeah. I mean, yeah, you still got to work your fucking ass off as everywhere, but there's definitely more of a, um, definitely more of an infrastructure for that kind of stuff. Uh, generally, I found, I guess I was lucky, I was kind of coming over like to it. You know, I knew some people, and some people knew me here, so I was really okay. people were very supportive. Um, I mean, the, the, the guys from Possession who I knew, I landed here and. I think like pretty much the first thing they did, Roman and Simon gave me the keys to the rehearsal place. <laughs> They're like, you know, golden you ticket. Play, like, well, yeah, yeah. Whenever you want to jam, just come on down. So that was really great. That was really helpful for me because I kind of came from playing in like five bands, playing all the time, playing everywhere. To okay, I'm in a completely different country. So the first year was kind of rough. I kind of had to set myself back up again. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of support. Fair with play, stuff. man. It was um, a brave move considering your age. You know, a lot of people would tend to move when they're a bit younger anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was coming over. I was, I fell in love. <laughs> I fell <laughs> in love. So I was following that. So it was kind of, a, a, it was a no brainer. Yeah. And it, I, I lived in um, Harlem, just outside Amsterdam. Ah, yeah, yeah. When I was Arla. 21. And then uh, we went over, actually. Funny story. Went over are to you, pick tulips. With the, what's the name? Lafaux, is it? Am I saying yeah. that? Oh, that's um, Richie Lafaux, yeah. It's uh, yeah. French for false, so it's not my real name. <laughs> <laughs> is that your actual name or is that just a pseudonym? Pseudonym, yeah. All right, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I just kind of always just didn't like putting my real name out on Facebook, all that weird oh, shit. Really? Yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. No, I was just curious because uh, I don't know if you remember um, Revolution of a Son and like Patrice and who? Fuck, what was the singer? Who's the singer? There was, there was, there was a French crew in Cork for a while. Right. Um, you don't remember those guys? Um, there was... Um, a band called Cyclefly, all right. And there was a few French dudes in that. Oh, no, I don't remember them. This is going back. They were talking like fucking 
97? 14 years ago. Oh. <laughs> it might have been a while. Sorry, no, that's. I was just curious though when I saw the Lefort, if, if you were part of the French crew. <laughs> no, no, no. We moved to Harlem. We went over for picking tulips. And of course, tragically, the tulip season was finished long before that. <laughs> so I think we'd yeah. like... Um, we had collectively around four or 500 quid Irish pounds at the time when we landed. And that was to last us maybe two or three months. And a long weekend in Amsterdam, we I think it was 20 quid left between three of us. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we yeah. ended up in a squat with a load of uh, new age hippies and crusties and they intensely disliked us. So they more or less tried to burn us out of the, the <laughs> squat. Uh, so then we eventually moved out of there through kind of a, it's kind of a two week period of prolonged fighting and standoffs. And uh, so then we went down to Hook Van Holland in Rotterdam and it's a beautiful beach town. And we got working for this dude who was the equivalent of JR in Dallas with this massive ranch. <laughs> and he owned his own kind of fruit packing process with horses, everything. It was amazing. And you just, you'd open a bar tab on a Monday and you'd get pay on, paid on the Friday. So the wage would literally just go back in behind the yeah. bar again. And then yeah, you were on the tab again. Local economy going. <laughs> But yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant um, adventure and, you know, did it for around a year and a half, ended up in Germany and then came back, you know, with a different outlook on life. Getting burnt out of squats is definitely character building. That's kind of shit you put on your CV. Good leadership skills, can handle getting burnt out of a squat, you know, works well on his own initiative. (laughs) Hire me. (laughs) Yes, I moved into Dublin for nine years, man, and... Totally enjoyed myself up there. Uh, moved to Leopardstown and then Radfarnham. Had a brilliant time, but, you know, at the end of it, it just got so hard to move around Dublin. Um, yeah, fuck, Jesus. Uh, I, I started I started renting in Dublin when I was like, I guess officially 18. Um, mm. And I would have rented in Dublin from about 18 till about... I guess about 26, 27. And yeah, it was always fucking, Jesus, that's not, oh, fuck, moving house is just, mm. oh, it's the most stressful thing going for me. Fuck, it's awful. It especially is, yeah. there, and especially now, it's just like, it was really bad then and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. I, I moved away here and I like <laughs> started, started looking at the equivalent of stuff here. It's the prices are insane <laughs> compared to, what 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 you'd be paying for at home, and I like I'd be I'm showing the ads on Daft to like you know my friends here, and it's like what like you know two thousand euros for a shoebox, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mad. Did you actually end up in the city bones, or were you still on the outskirts of Dublin renting? Oh fuck! Where was I? I ended up a lot of Harold's Cross uh. and Rockgar. Portobello was the first one. Mm. I did a very small stint on the north side in Cabra. Um, but always, always aiming for, I did Terranier as well, uh, always aiming for around, we, we, the first one was Portobello mm. and we, we kind of very quickly discovered that was like the, the magical, the sweet spot. And we, we, we ended up, we, we landed with a really nice fucking landlord, surprisingly, which was a really nice experience for your first renting experience who was, you know, knew we were fucking kids and messers and, 
you know, was always chill. Um, I, I was working at the time as well in a guitar shop. So it was, it was, uh, it was a nice one. Everything after that was like steadily worse though. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was a weird thing that Irish landlords have here that I've never encountered anywhere else. The, uh, they assume that it's their house. That the, you know they can they can just enter your house when everyone yes. every landlord I ever had we would just turn up randomly you know like hey I'm <laughs> I'm dropping in a dehumidifier and you're like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> and you know to them they're looking at you like you know like like you're the one who's in in the wrong that that's a weird fucking attitude like yeah. over here it's a lot more you know just hopefully you don't fucking hear from them really. It seems a lot more important. There's, there's still, like every country, it's the same with cops. There's still a lot of fucking chances and corrupt bastards. Mm. Uh, it's the same here as well, but it's so recognize them, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's just it, isn't it? Mm. That's just it. So yes, we left in 99 and I've been in Cork since. How's Cork treating you? Fantastic, man. Yeah, there's some good stuff going on now. It's a great scene at the moment. So we'll get back to you in Dublin, Bones. What was um, your first band and where were you practicing? Was there a good vibe back then compared to now? My first ever band was a band called Glue Boy. <laughs> when oh. I was like 14 years old. Um, we, we, were, we rehearsed in our drummer's bedroom out in Harmonstown with all his family and doing mostly like oh god it was just like American skate punk kind of stuff mm. until I, I then me and the drummer broke away and we started doing this kind of more crusty hardcore thing bastard youth um, so by 14 we would have been yeah little crusty hardcore kids bouncing around the place and then fuck I've been in a lot of fucking bands uh, that would have been the first one really to start at the first series one that started like kind of doing gigs like we were playing down in Cork loads and uh, a lot yeah. of gigs of Red Zeppelin's I remember that and, and various places in the country and then Dinovissimus around when I was like 18 which was more this kind of death doom thing yeah. um, and were you listening to that type of music at that stage or were you kind of like probably every other teenager just a, like a sponge absorbing everything yeah, yeah, that was really that was a lot to do with my father. My father got me into music. My father's my father is not a musician, but he's a huge music nerd. Mm. So before I even knew what a guitar was, he'd be sitting me down to discuss the intricacies of this wah solo and how the guy was milking the feedback and all this shit. So I was immersed in music from the start. I got into Metallica of my own accord after a brief flirtation with hip hop, probably when I was about ten. <laughs> 11 probably about that um, probably 10 so by 12 mostly due to Phil Anselmo's band t-shirts I was into like you know then it was like Venom Dark Throne Emperor Mayhem Immortal Necrophagia then all the sludge stuff I had gotten all that and that was a thing I was we were just talking earlier about like you know when you when you download an mp3 you don't get the liner notes I was addicted to like yeah. reading the liner notes. What yeah. bands are they tanking? What yeah. band are the bands I'm listening to wearing? So by by 14, I kind of like I got into punk, and I told you like I'm 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 finished my metal phase now. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> I remember selling all my CDs for like booze money when I was 14, only to start buying them back again yeah. when I was about 15. I just yeah. I I just everything I everything I listen to I just take with me. And everything new. I'm like a big fucking, a big fucking, you know, you see those trawlers collecting all the shit in the sea. 
Mm. or like dredging the canal. I just, I'm everything I listen to, I pretty much listen to all the way through. Do you know what? That's an interesting thing and it's rarely commented on actually and you brought it up there is how influential a t-shirt is, especially on a singer that you admire, oh, God, like yeah. Phil. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm 34 now and I've talked about this with a lot of my, um, a lot of my friends my age who, who we got into the music the same way and with each other and stuff like that. And it was a huge thing for us. Like it was a really big thing The you know, like who, whoever it was, whoever you were into, you know, they might walk out in a fucking, you know, a Dr. Dre shirt. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's okay to be into hip hop as well. Or, yeah. you know, or they might walk out in some fucking, you know, a Gizm t-shirt or a fucking, you know, you know, exactly that. It was a, at, at that age, um, everything. And like, this is as well, like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have like Napster or LimeWire or anything growing up. That was like all my younger brothers. And like my, my, I remember my friend had Napster and stuff, but I wasn't really internet savvy. So I still wasn't even really downloading stuff. Mm. So it was still like, you know, saving as much money as you could, hitting the sound seller, hitting the secret book and record store every fucking week, yeah. you know, get something new. You, you, you read a review about this fucking years ago in this fanzine and now it's here. You kind of, mm. you know, this kind of way. Yeah. Kind of pushing it where I guess now with, the internet and, you know, oversaturation, everything is like, it's a little tangent, but a friend of mine, he put up this article the other day about like deep listening, about how like back in the day, like records, like the, like an actual record was a thing. It was the package. It was the artwork. You went home, you listened to it with headphones. You, you know, you close your eyes, yeah. you know, you immerse yourself in it. And now like, fuck, like, you know, everything's a fucking ringtone now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it actually. is, yeah. I was interviewing the lads from Grave Sermon last week and they made a great point. I think it was Jason said it, the drummer. He just said that there's no real event now with a release anymore. It's not. Yeah. It's not, it's not there. Yeah. It's just, That's, as you yeah. said, it's an over, they're releasing into an oversaturated market anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, to build up the whole... You know, back then, like we we just had Metal Hammer, Krang. Um, the internet was just kind of what you'd look at porn on, and, <laughs> and it'd be slow as well. You're waiting for everything to download. You know? Yeah, but I think I would definitely like I I, I would that whole like you know like the the release thing. I mean, we kind of I, I noticed myself. Um, excuse me, with the. Um, with the release of Alchemical Warfare, we get to like, you know, you get the usual, you know, the week before, you know, you're actually a bit excited. It took us like, we recorded this two years ago or something, yeah. it's only coming out. So then it comes out and there's, you know, there's, it, I must say it got a, a pretty nice reception and there's a good buzz. And you see, like I was just saying to you to start, you know, like the, the numbers on social media, the algorithms or whatever, everything is jumping now and everything is moving and moving. And you're just waiting for, I know it's going to stop any minute because I know the next step for us is always the tour dates, the festival dates. Mm. This is to follow on to promote a record yeah. or, or whatever release. And, and it's, they're not there. So mm. like, obviously there's, you know, the, the, the car picks up momentum. We get going, we get going. And then, Oh, we're just kind of freewheeling. And we're, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we got something like however many extra Instagram followers, like in a day, you know, probably more than we've gotten in the last two years, you know, this kind yeah. of shit. And then it all drops off. But we, for it's, us... It's, uh, it's very hard not to be sucked into that world, isn't it? 
Completely. Well, I think there's an element where you kind of just have to play ball now. Yeah. A bit. Like the Dinavissimus, when we started, it was around the time with like MySpace and stuff starting out. And um, I was vehemently against this idea of social networking, uh, particularly against the, like, you know, you'd see MySpace and it's like, discharge our friends with Avril Lavigne, our friends with Amoebics. And you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, this mm -hmm. is, this is bullshit. So I refuse to put that band on social media. And, and to be honest, it fucking, you know, if I knew what I know now, I totally would have done that differently. And I, it only really dawned on me a few years later when friends of mine actually made me a joke, like a fake MySpace account for me. Okay. You know, it made, made me like some like Christian <laughs> straight edge emo kid. They had some big fucking thing. It was some joke. And one day my friend rings me. And he's like, here, so two things. We made this fake MySpace for you. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. And it's all like this. It's actually really funny. But people found it and they think it's actually you. So they're sending you things about festivals, tour dates. You know, we were booking a tour at the time. So, so I like, I'm, that band, I think I really shot that band in the foot by being so stubborn and being like, no, like we're a death doom band. We're not here to make friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course, we still want to play all the tours. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it just depends on probably your age profile and your acceptance of technology. Ultimately, yeah. we are overrun by it at the moment. I mean, you, you know more about it than me because you're in the band and... Unfortunately, you'll have to rely on that now. It's part of your future, unfortunately. Yeah, and oh no, without a doubt. But like, sorry, the mechanics of it and the will to do it, knowing full well that it's not what we're supposed to be doing, what, we're, what we were taught even, going back to being writing with a pen in school. When yeah. did you last write a letter? <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that the first day back in school after your summer holidays and you're just like, what? What the yeah. fuck is this? And your, your arm is fucking like, oh man, your arm would be killing you for fucking ages. But yeah, like again, like that's the thing, like the the whole promo stuff, you know, you release the album and, and now of course, you know, there's videos. And now of course there's stuff like this, there's these like online interviews, there's mm -hmm. online video reviews or like we got this reaction vid and all this stuff and everyone's pushing content and garnering. And it, and it is exactly that, it's just content. You know, it's not like, none of this is going to stand the test of time, hmm. you know? Like no one has dropped a fucking, you know, another Black Sabbath or a fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. No one's done another Master of Puppets or shit. Yeah. With, with everything that's going on because everything is so, it's so easily kind of mm -hmm. processed and processable, you know, yeah. people can just disseminate it real fucking quick and move on. Yeah, from then, my, like, my point of view, why I'm doing this is literally to mark time in relation to where the Irish scene is, you know, the Irish metal scene. So well, that's cool. Like, that's archiving as well. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is, you know. Um it wasn't done really before, if you know what I mean, in relation to real in-depth look at the Irish metal scene. So that's what I'm about anyway. And well, that, I think that's that's really important. So when I was always a big fan of like like before like Facebook and stuff like that, like like internet forums. You know, we obviously knew Metal Ireland and there was like Aircore and stuff like that. And of course, there's various, you know, bigger kind of international online ones. But that, that kind of stuff that for me at my age, like when I was like, you know, 15, say, say 17 to like, you know, 22 or something, that was like the, the forms were really fucking important. You know, that kind of way, you know, 
getting the gigs and yeah. like, you know promoting the gigs and stuff now and then when facebook first came along you know everyone starts going oh I, you know i did an event on facebook like 600 people are going to turn up to my 80 capacity venue to see you know richie and fucking hooli's fucking band yeah you know that's oh wait only four people turned up you mean yeah. those <laughs> you know there's all these different kind of fucking sides to it and how people mm. read into it and but ultimately like you said like you know the mechanics like it is it's a tool yeah you're kind of in the belly of the beast but i think you know you can you can use it to your advantage and at the end of the day it's one of those things it's like i mean especially now with everything with the no gigs we're not particularly into this idea of of playing online doing an online gig not that i i i, I don't have a problem with bands doing it i have already i've paid to see bands do it that, that i like I can get it, but it's still not the, uh, it's just not the fucking same. Mm. I <laughs> saw you what? actually did the play through. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There's a fucking fine example, man. We were trying to do those fucking, those things are so awkward. <laughs> it's like, I, I've been playing those songs for years. And as soon as the camera goes record, it's like, no, nah, I fucking forget all this. But then as well, like our songs are so improvised and made up. Like every Dread Sovereign song is essentially four chords. And it just depends on how we play it on the night. Mm. But so much of that stuff is like, we really try to do a push to kind of like, we'll make one by month and month. And you're just after reminding me, I do have one on the computer that I haven't finished, but it just like, it, I, I was getting anxious doing them. Like they I were know, stressed. you could see it. You could see it. Um, it really stressed. Was that a wheelchair you were sitting on? Yeah. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend is well as well as a tour manager and gig promoter and all sorts. She's like a filmmaker. She makes movies. So she does all this with her, her business partner who also lives with us. Mm. They do uh, a thousand lost civilizations. So they do everything from music videos, cool. tours, gigs, festivals, yada yada. And I I believe the wheelchair was taken for a music video shoot to be a steady cam, um, but has been since. It's a it's a point of uh, it's a great point of amusement for a lot of people when they come to the house first. Everyone wants to sit in the chair. It was a Play good prop, movie. man, for your uh, for your playthrough as well. Here yeah. I was taking in all this other shit rather than your guitar. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it fucking helped because I have a very hard time to sit still anyway. And um, there's some great outtakes of that where I actually kind of fell out of the chair because I was moving around too much. Um, but it it helps with it kind of counteracts my momentum. But yeah, but again, like that, that whole thing of like, exactly like, hey, hit like, smash, yeah. subscribe button, blah. And I, I, it's not that I find it disingenuous, but I know if I was to do it, it would be disingenuous because I wouldn't really mean it. I understand though why, like, again, like it's, it is necessary. These things are important. Like I listen to some podcasts myself that I enjoy. I follow things like, you know, along the same lines of what you're doing. Like it's, it is important. And especially with last year, a case of, fuck either we do something or we do nothing yeah you know and there's no point i could never be a person that's just sitting around complaining yeah but wouldn't it just I, be horrible to, to become a character of yourself because of it yeah, with all these sayings and stuff i mean I, I have to do it as well and i just fucking cringe you know hit that subscribe button i'm going to do it at the end of this and just hit that subscribe. Oh, we can do it together i'll, I'll join you, we can do it together. <laughs> but do you so, do you do you watch your stuff back? Do you like, no. you know... Jesus, you, you no. Know, as soon as it's out, you're... Nah, once you're it's gone. done, it's done, man. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. And like, I have to edit it twice with the audio and the yeah, video. So that's it then. It yeah. 
So well, fuck that. The exact same as any recording process. Mm. You've heard that fucking riff a million times. The last thing you're going to do when you get home is stick it on. No, definitely not. <laughs> we better talk a bit about your band, man. So, well, I don't know which one. I think I think it's more Alan's band. You got the wrong guy to interview here. Uh, no, let's talk about Dread Sovereign for those that are listening to the show and they mightn't uh, know too much about you. Can you just give us a whirlwind tour of the um, band? I think we started in about 2011 uh, with a very kind of loose brief of it was going to be dirty and it was going to be doom E. Um we got we got a demo out uh, like an EP that went out on Burning Row Records and Roburn, um, and then when and he, he appeared on Roadburn. What was that like? That was fucking cool. That was mm. a really big deal for me. Yeah. Um, that was like the, when I first started going to Roadburn, like fucking I don't know, two thousand and seven or two thousand and six or something maybe. Wow. I don't know. It was pretty early. Um. That was like the fucking to to be that guy before they before they got too big. <laughs> it was like the coolest place ever. That was like our mecca. So it was always a dream to like actually play there. And then I get the email from the ball fella being like, "Yeah, here first gig," because <laughs> obviously Primordial were playing the night before. Mm. So it was on the strength of that he was able to to sweet talk to deal. Our first gig was actually in the pint. We were like a secret band, I think, playing with. I think with Gospel of the Horns or something the week before. Uh-huh. Um, as could, a kind you, of- I suppose you do have ties to Dara, especially since you were living in Dublin for so long, you know, shout out to Darren and Victus. Oh, Dara, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, um, I got to know him through, I was in Zom as well. Oh, so, right, okay. Zom were on, uh, uh, on Victus. So yeah, we did we did a lot, lot of work with that. And I know I got to know, I guess... It was weird. It was around the time that they would have opened up the first kind of like the Into the Void shop. Hmm. Um, there was a weird kind of crossover, <laughs> you know, punks meeting metalers and stuff. I yeah. met Darren before playing drums at with this uh, with Phil Nishankilla, a friend of mine's one man black metal band. Uh, he got he was playing the the ten year anniversary in Victor's Town. Ah. So we got to know each other through then and then, yeah, with True Zom. There's a lot of drinking and boozing. And then kind of through that, I, that's how I got a message off Alan one day, just being like, how many bands are you in? Yeah, I think I was, yeah, I was like, I'm in five. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I have this idea. I need a guitar player. Um, so I went then and checked it out. And to be honest, I, I didn't really know the dude. I didn't give two shits about Primordial. Primordial do nothing for me musically. Mm-hmm. Um so I wasn't wowed. I wasn't particularly impressed by him. I was a little nervous that maybe this dude is like shit hot on the, on the guitar. <laughs> but I, I'm, I will never say no to an adventure or kind of, you know, or to, to play with other people mm. um, musically. So, so I went down and checked it out and I realized two things that instantly the guy couldn't play for shit, but he had a fucking, he had a really clear idea. Mm. And uh, so I said, yeah, we'd, we'd fucking jam. We'd try it out. The jams worked out. It was with Simon from Primordial. Um, great guy, great fucking drummer. Um, and we did with him the EP and the first album, All Hell's Martyrs. And then with the tour after that, Simon wasn't really in a position to tour. So I've been playing in a punk band, Live Fast Die, with Johnny, uh, Johnny yeah. King. And I got 
Johnny was just a perfect fit for the three of us, especially on the road. We were, we're, it, we're pretty ideal, the three of us together. Yeah, the, shout uh, out to yeah. Johnny. Oh man, king by name, king by nature. Yeah. Where's he from again? Is it Mayo, is it? Oh. Or? No, he's not. No, he's from Rush. Or Lusk, is it? Is it Lusk or Rush? I can never remember. Which what one of them in Malthusian is from Mayo? That's Macri. That's the guitar player and the singer. Ah, okay. I knew one of them had a strong Mayo accent. I met him um, down at Monolith. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, fuck Brie. Jesus, I haven't... I, t- I talk to Brie every now and then online, but yeah, great guy. Fucking yeah. Go on, anyway. So you recorded the first album. Yeah, that was your thing. And then with the tours, when the tours were coming in, yeah, Simon wasn't able to to tour. So Johnny just kind of gave us a... Johnny just filled in. Hmm. Johnny filled in, but... At the start, Alan always said that the band would do something. Um, and I told him if, if he was going to be serious about it and come into actually doing stuff, I'd be, I'd be along for the ride for sure. Um, so it took us a while to kind of, you know, get his head. It's weird. He's like, at the start, he wasn't a musician at all. But he has this incredible encyclopedic knowledge of all things metal. Mm. So he knows what tone he wants. He knows how it wants to sound. He might necessarily have the words to kind of get them out, but between the two of us, yeah, we he's a good director. Of, yeah, we can kind of like piece it together and stuff. Um, so we, we, when Johnny came into the fold, it was kind of he was getting more into it and he wanted it to be serious. So yeah, we asked Johnny on full time, and thankfully he agreed because I I don't know what we'd be doing else. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it just went from there. From there, then there was a lot of festivals, a lot of tours as well, and I think it was more on the on the live side of things, like with the gigs is where we really kind of like, kind of got our, we kind of found our feet, you know, yeah. our kind of sound or buzz, how we sound on record to how we would play those songs live are completely different. Are you a lot looser, is it live? It'd be a bit looser, yeah, in parts, but there's definitely a general attitude. It's a bit more, it's always a bit more rock and roll. Yeah. Like Johnny, Johnny's an amazing, uh, he's an amazing kind of clock, you know, he can, the slow bits will be super slow, but when it's time to get going, you know, he'll really pick it up for you, you yeah. know, that kind of way. So he's a, he's a fucking joy to play with in that regard. Mm. And S- Simon, actually, Simon was a master of that stuff. The guy before, he was really good at that, but we just, we never really had enough live experience to kind of go for it. I think we only, I think I might may only ever play like four or five gigs with him before we got Johnny. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we, we, we kind of soon figured out that one, we could we could be in the van with each other and not fucking kill each other right. for the most part, <laughs> with the exception of me and Alan when we're having our off days. Mm. And uh and two, yeah, like it was a good buzz on stage. It's always really fun to play. So like Bones were those gigs, tours probably out of a van, fair enough. Do you think Alan's connections helped a lot in relation to getting gigs through Europe? No. No, no not at all. Oh. Not the, the first one we did was we were supporting Procession, who had just released uh, To Reap Heavens Apart. Now, obviously, obviously, hold on as well, obviously, like there's massive <laughs> advantages and benefits to ha- having, having Alan involved, of course. But it was, um, the first tour was done by Killtown, by Abacassus Daniel. Um, and that was more of a thing. The second tour we went on, was done by this band Finster Force. It was a Nightliner tour. These kind of like weird pagan metal bands. It was the, the, it was a bizarre lineup. 
I've never ever gone on tour with a band that I didn't already know one or two okay. members or all the members have yeah, been yeah. friends before. And th- that tour could have been a nightmare, but it actually ended up being loads of fun. Um, but they, that was, and then the, the third, what was the other tour we went on? We did then as well. We just came back last year. Actually, Maya, my girlfriend, uh, booked the Saturnalia Temple Woven Nest and um, us, Dread Sovereign as well, with the ATLC thing. So that was the last tour we did. Hmm. But that was, you, with, with the booking, the booking, he'd kind of keep out of that um, for his own sake because he's busy with his own shit as well. Yeah. But you definitely see like there's certain 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 shows <laughs> you can see like there's like the okay like like in eastern europe you know 20 people might turn up to see Alan. yeah you know this kind of way like he's amazing with uh with that kind of stuff like we'd get some like good attendances where maybe some other bands on the bill <clears throat> but of course uh, like yourself and johnny have seen alan develop as a bass playing frontman now as well that must have been fun considering he was so bad at the start, yeah. as you said. <laughs> well, it's having to be the guy to fucking guide him through. I don't know if I'd say fun. I'm definitely proud of him. I'm fucking proud of him. He's come a long way for sure. But uh, the thing is with Alan, though, it's like, again, going back to what I say, it's like this, the guy knows fucking, he knows his music. Yeah. So at the beginning, he didn't know his chops, but he knew the tone. He knew exactly. So like he, he was very heavily involved you know, with like the mixing of the albums, the production and stuff and getting that overall sound. And like, it's, it's ultimately his vision, mm. you know? I kind of, I, I guess I bring my own color or whatever. But um, like definitely live seeing it, like he is without a doubt, like me and Alan can kill each other some days, but fucking playing live with him, being on stage is the best one ever with him. Mm. And, and Johnny as well. Like the three of us have the best one ever um, mm. being on stage. And I think again, Maybe that's with the the shift in things with alchemical warfare. That's what you hear, all the all the gigs in like tiny squad venues somewhere in Slovakia to twenty people on a Monday night, and there's only twenty bottles of whiskey as a backstage. Okay, let's fucking go. <laughs> so we were trying to get, I think, incorporate more of of that into the, the you know the not the new sound, but what we were already doing. And plus as well with him getting more, not so much better, but more confident in his abilities on the bass um, was able for me and Johnny then to fuck around with structures. Yes. And so there's a lot of like, like the early stuff. I mean, it's like, like Dread Sovereign isn't technical and it was never meant to be technical. It's meant to be, you know, we're talking like Hellhammer demos. Yeah. It was always the kind of, you know, the vibe, you know, we can, we can, we can name other bands, but it's essentially, it's coming down to this kind of rough and ready and gritty and just in the moment, organic kind of fire it out. So with it, with everyone kind of settling into their roles, and I mean, everyone, like all three of us settling into our roles, it's, uh, we're a lot more chill in like, I don't have to write fucking 20 riffs for a song. I'm okay with just doing two riffs now. Yeah. He's okay if he has to do a, a change bit, Alan could do it, you know, a little tail here and there. And, Johnny just does what the fuck he wants and it all sounds good. But I mean, that comes with playing experience, as you said, tours. You can trust each other, you know? Um, Yeah, but that's, we're in our our own way. We're all, it's all different levels of experience, but we're all very experienced Mm. in a live setting. Yeah. You know, we've we've racked up between the three of us, we've racked up a lot of fucking gigs over the years. Yeah, a lot of mileage as well, man. Between the three of us as well, there's a lot of years of experience. Yeah. For Doom the Bell Tolls, then had you 
more ideas or were you still going with the same kind of structures in relation to writing and composing? For whom the bell does, uh, for me personally, wasn't going anywhere. I was a wreck. I, would, I don't even remember recording that. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I think it shows, I really don't like that record. To me, it just sounds like half finished. Okay. And it was kind of put out as an album and I think it really should have been an EP. Mm. Um, like some of the, like there's some, some like, for example, like I was saying earlier on, it's like the, some of those songs, like we played them, we, we played them on the last tour and they're completely different songs now, you know, because yeah. we've been playing them for so long. But the actual recording of that, uh, fuck, it was a disaster. <laughs> it was an absolute, when you, when you run into your drug dealer during the recording and your drug dealer goes, shit, you look really fucking bad. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm not going to, it's kind of like, oh yeah. No, I was, I couldn't even, to be honest, I couldn't even really play guitar on that recording. Fuck. Okay. Like, there's loads of bits you listen to in the middle of uh, For This World Is Doomed mm. and it's like I'm trying to I meant to do a big long solo thing and I do nothing like I, I just really couldn't play guitar I had nothing and where did I, she record that? Uh, with the very patient and very loving Ola Ursford in it was in the same place where actually we recorded the Alchemical Warfare ah. Temple Bar oh Temple Bar yeah yeah, I'm trying to think of the exact name of the studio now. I always get them confused, but I can't think. But it was in the exact same place. And, and in the exact same way, we always record the same way. We always record live. It's the, always the same process. Um, so we, what, made you, what made you go with Shawnee Cads? Big shout out to Shawnee. Shawnee Cads, fellow Corkonian. Yeah. Um, what made us go with Shawnee was, I don't know. I had absolutely no, I was just told. Ah. I think, oh, Johnny, Johnny sorted it out. Johnny, I think, had been working with um with Maltusian. He, yeah, maybe? He, I think he was involved, either that or Cuscra. He definitely produced Cuscra. Oh, he did Cuscra. Not... I know, I know, I know. He did Cuscra all right, um, even though he won't say it. Ha <laughs> ha, Johnny. Uh, um, I think, I think, I'm trying to rack my brains here. I think Johnny, Johnny got to know him because I, I was living away. I was already gone for all this. Oh, so, right, of course you were. Uh, yeah. Johnny and, and, and Alan kind of sorted it out with him. Mm. Um, I met him I met him at New Year's Eve. He's a fucking gas cunt. I love Sean. He's a really funny guy. Re a, great, a great guy to work with. Yeah. Really fucking relaxed. Yeah, and he's, again, except, he's except the whole... Except he knocks over your guitar and smashes it on the day you're meant to do all the lead guitars. Oh. I bet you he didn't tell you that. No. Nope. Did he? No. <laughs> <Fucking> <laughs> But am that I surprised? No. <laughs> that was oh man, that was the the, the the guitar shop near his studio. Like they he's he's in there dropping in guitars like every couple of couple of weeks they know. But yeah, a friend of mine called in. I'm I'm in there to do like, you know, and I've I live abroad, so I've got a flight in a few days. This is my one shot, you know, all the pressure is on. And uh, and of course it's me, so I've nothing prepared, you know. I'm not, <laughs> not it's not like I've I did my homework or anything. But uh a friend comes in to see me. We take a quick, like, 10-minute break. We go out for a smoke. And I come back in. And there's Sean. He's sitting and he's just looking at me. His little face like, uh, I broke your guitar. And I'm like, ha-ha. Okay, so what's next? What do we do next? He's like, no, I, I broke your guitar. <laughs> I just started laughing. That, that flying V has been broken. Like, fuck, I, I've broken it myself. I've smashed it on stage. It's, it's just, it always fucking breaks. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm chill about these things. I don't give a fuck. So uh, we broke the guitar. Um, 
my friend who I'd, we just smoked a joint. So he was really paranoid that he was like the bad luck charm. So he left. And uh, me and Shawnee then tried to record lead ideas. So Shawnee was standing, I'm holding the flying V like in a sitting down position and it had snapped at the, the headstock at the neck. So Shawnee was standing here trying to hold the neck in place to get some sort of, just, just so I could do like a, a demo demo of the demo idea. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I ended up having to come back like a week or two later. Oh man, get it. I'm sure you made up for it. There was plenty of another session organized oh man it was chill oh he he paid he paid to fix the guitar no problem yeah I mean, of course fucking, he's, a, he's a gentleman yeah and but i'd he, say he's was, easy uh, to work with as well bones is he oh super super easy really really relaxed really uh really open to ideas like and i'm i can get i can get a bit fucking stupid um with ideas and i need to kind of be reined in and alan can get a bit you know, Alan will start talking about things, but again, he won't know the technical side. Mm. And me and Alan then will do this. And Shawnee in the middle, like Johnny is just over here with a bag of cans asleep or check, just chilling, you know, whatever. So Shawnee was, Shawnee's a really good kind of mediator and he'll, yeah. he'll listen to both and he can, yeah, he knows how to serve the song as well, which is cool. In the end, he just ended up uh, being like the engineer. We got Ola to mix it in the end, who is mm. the guy who did all our previous stuff. Um, which Shawnee was totally cool about. Shawnee, I think, ended up kind of suggesting it as well at one point to kind of keep with the team of the previous records. But uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend the guy enough. He yeah. And he fucking likes loud. He likes things being turned up loud. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm fucking really into that. Any sound man that tells you to fucking turn up, fair play. Yeah. We'll do a quick run through of the album itself. You released it in January the 15th. I love the tone that's set actually with A Curse on Men and She Wolves of the Savage Season comes in then perfectly. Was that always the obvious choice to start the album? The others might disagree with me, but I'm going to say yeah, because I wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm 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 a real stickler for the flow of an album. Yes. And how songs and like, you know, I, I think, I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes I find that like the track list when people record, the track list is often overlooked. People will get the amazing tone on the snare and they'll get everything, the level's all good. But they'll, they record the first song they wrote, the second song they wrote, the third. Yeah. And that's not necessarily always the way. And yeah. I think when you're doing, like we were talking earlier on about like, you know, the package of an album of a, mm. of a thing, it has to be, it has to flow. There has to be a, some sort of, you know, beginning, middle, and end, to to an extent. So I would be, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a terrible prick for. I will sit down and, you know, spend days going between this outro and, and making sure we all agreed on it. But it was I pushed for the, a lot of the. Now of course everyone said, oh, you know, you know yourself. It's kind of a lottery. You lock in these first three songs, and yeah. then we we're vibing on this. But um. I, in the end, I think the guys pretty much went with what I suggested, mm. and I'm I'm pretty happy with how it flowed. I only listened to it, I only listened to it once actually when it came out. Since I've actually since we got the mix back, okay. I I don't listen to that stuff at all. But uh, I was really I I really liked how it flowed. I thought it was cool. Mm. It's definitely compared to say this world is doomed, a far more uh, coherent record. Mm. Like we're we're sound a lot more like we know what we're doing and ah, we know absolutely, what we want yeah. to do. Of course, I meant, was that part of She Wolves? Did you separate that or was... No, She Wolves was all one song. That would be all the, all the, those little, um, the interludes are all done by Garrett, who uh, he's, he's, 
he's kind of like the secret fourth member. He does all the interludes, all the kind of synth stuff in all our records. Um, we, we've toured with him. We've, well, not toured with him, but we played a good few um, fests and gigs with him abroad. Mm. And it's something I'd really love to incorporate in the future, getting the kind of synths and the sounds because it's it got a great reaction as well. Yeah, even um, if you had a projector in the background as well for live, oh, that'd be oh, so we've, cool. We've, we've done gigs like that. We've had the light show. We've done this. We've kind of, we've, it's funny, we've kind of done festivals and stuff where they've got like big light shows, but how we act on stage, particularly the Germans, I've had like German light guys give out to me because I'm moving around too much and, you know, I'm taking away from his fancy light show. I had a dude say that before. I thought that was really incredibly <laughs> German and I'm really funny. But I make all the work with your lights and you move and the spotlight isn't on when you do the solo. Oh, like, yeah, I was in the crowd, man. <laughs> but um, no, but all that stuff is like, we would record everything. And then, you know, Garrett gets sent direct. And like, Garrett is a, he's a renaissance man. This guy does, he can do whatever this guy touches. In my book, it seems to turn to gold. So um, mm. he, he'll, he'll listen to, he'll send some ideas. You know, we give him some feedback and then it's usually, usually him and Alan would kind of like sort all that. I don't, I don't, I don't need to nor want to be involved in that really until until it's done and then I hear it and I either say yes or no. That's going to be a great crowd favorite as well. She was that chorus. Is, yeah. you can see people well, singing that back to you. There's um when I when I listen back to the album, that was the one thing that got me was the the, the flow was one thing, but the um I don't know if we meant to do this or it's the fact that you know we probably have one of the greatest frontmen in fucking metal history in the last 30 years who is, because you have to remember, we're, we're learning the songs. He's not singing. Mm. So when it comes to the vocals, he gets to just be full pelt in the room. You yeah. know, nothing is holding him back. And I listened to that thing. It's like, we wrote a fucking load of chorus lines. Yes. There's a lot of fucking Very much so. sing-alongs, yeah. you know, like, and, and I, I know myself, I did kind of get into more a more kind of stripped down songwriting approach, almost like a more classic rock formula to kind of keep it simple and we'll mm. let and like that was a big thing for me as well, was making sure that we were leaving space for everything. Mm. You know, and I, you know, especially with Doom, it's like, okay, we're gonna play this riff for like fucking eight minutes. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, but there's going to be solos and it's going to be vocal. Mm. Like, how do you know? Where are we putting it? You know, this kind of way. Every song is going to be compared to different bands. Um, Just on the seventh minute of that song, when it slows down, I don't know if you ever hear of Dream Death. They're from Pittsburgh. It's a lovely section there. Um, I I know the band, yeah. You know know Dream Death, yeah? Cool. And Penance, yeah. I think I I did. Did I? Did they? Did they maybe play the Roadburn that we yeah. played the Roadburn? I've never seen them live, man. It kills me. I saw them, Absolutely I saw kills the Roadburn me. And it was just, I saw them at Roadburn and I wasn't a fan. I had just heard about them. Like, I'm, I'm like, I didn't know. I, you know, I'd heard a song. Loads of people were saying, oh man, they're really cool. You got to check them out. And I went to check them out on the main stage of Roadburn and they were fucking cool. They played it. I think they played it like fucking five in the day as well. Oh. Like, it wasn't anything special. Really? But I remember really enjoying it. Fucking I think, hell. I don't know, man, memory is very fucking hazy. Yeah, you and me both, man. So we, yeah. so the animation on it then, uh, we can't leave that go either. Raven Redoran, is it? Yeah, this was fucking crazy. Um, Did a fantastic job, man. 
Oh, incredibly talented artist. And she did, she's, she's an amateur artist. She's not professional. She was telling me she's just, she did this in her spare time. Like she wow. works a job. She came home, she had her dinner and she fucking worked her ass off on this. And man, I couldn't fucking believe it. It's like <laughs> all my life watching cartoons and reading comic books. I finally get to be one. <laughs> fucking mission accomplished. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, she, she dropped Alan a line at some point. Um, She'd always been a pretty like vocal supporter of the band. Like she'd share stuff and, and uh, she dropped a line and just said like, hey, you know, I'm, cause she'd started like drawing some, some doing stuff. It's like, I'm going to do this. Um, yeah, I'm going to do a comic book. Mm. Like I've the thing. And I think then Alan and her got talking and I think Alan like sent her the song cause he had this idea for it as well. And to be honest, I was more surprised that Alan was into the idea. Cause I remember him telling me like, hey, you know, Huli, you're going to love this. We're going to do this comic book thing. And I'm like, what? And you're into this? And he's like, yeah, he's crazy into it. Um, so she she did all the, yeah, she did all the drawings and everything. And then Alan had this, we got this other guy, uh, Morbid Visions. Um, oh, Killian Manson, the, the, the is videos, it? Piece, piecing it all, all together. Killian, I believe mm. his name is, isn't it? Killian, yeah. And um, so he, he helped piece it together as well. I, I, I helped with the dialogue in the in the comic just because uh, herself is Russian, obviously, and she needs some hands with that. Yeah. But uh, the, the rest, Alan, Alan organized all the rest of that yeah. shit. But I was, I was really, uh, I was really proud. Yes. <laughs> I was really proud, but I thought it was cool. So cool, man. You can see, you can see a lot of people that even mightn't be into the band just loving that and checking more of your stuff out, you know? So yeah, well, with the from the jump from Van Records to Metal Blade, I've definitely noticed exactly like I mean, Metal Blade has and what we were talking to touch on that horrible beast, the fucking internet and social media and social networking or whatever you want to call it, the the reach that Metal Blade has in regards to this kind of stuff. Like you got people who are like you know they came for their daily dose of Cannibal Corpse and then they see this cartoon and they're like, oh, you know this kind of stuff. So we. You know, those videos went to like, you know, again, um, and again, going back to like I was saying, like, what, because we've no gigs, like the, the, the first few days were like, whoa, loads of views. And then you see it because we're now we're trying to figure out how to follow it in, you know, but with, with the Metal Blade stuff, the reach they have, it's like, I mean, they got like, you know, over a million subscribers on their fucking yeah. YouTube channel. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah, would they contribute to your budget in relation to making videos? <laughs> Whether they fucking do, I couldn't tell you, man. I wouldn't be. I am. I am a long way away from the dotted line within this. It's, yeah. That's not within my pay grade. <laughs> if I am getting paid, <laughs> just that I'd ask, you know. Yeah, I know it's worth a shot, all right. But again, like this is you mentioned the like the the YouTube the, the playthrough videos and this kind of stuff. This is like the this is the way things are going. Mm. You know, if you, and like, I mean, I'm, I, I know myself if, you know, fuck, if you gave me enough booze, I'm sure I could put on a great show and we might get, you know, this kind of way, yeah. but you got to do that every week and you got to build up. And I know, I know some bands that are fucking great at it and they've, they've got a handle on it and they can do it. But, uh, it's a, it's a fucking full-time job in itself, maintaining some sort of online presence when you don't have the, the benefit of actually turning up physical in the town to play the yeah. record. Of course. You know that kind of way? 
and, and this is what we're all faced with now yeah it's, it's it's firmly ingrained in our DNA now whether we like it or not The Great Beast We Serve another fantastic chorus um, yeah again Alan yeah. Alan wrote Alan wrote the the first half of the song and then I wrote the second half um, and that song honestly that song okay this is how Dread Sovereign right um we talk about doing shit for months. We don't do anything. We realized that we thought the studio was next week, but it's actually this week and we have to rehearse. Shawnee books us some days right before we go in to record. We go into the room. We go, fuck, 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 play, 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 play. And I swear to fuck, in like the 11th hour, Alan is like, okay, so I have this. Yeah. And Johnny goes, that's not the beat. This is the beat. And I, okay, what do you do? Okay, and we just go, and... And that just fucking, we shit that out at the end and it ended up becoming a really fucking, I think it's a, I I pushed for that to be a, I hadn't heard it in so long. And when I heard it, I couldn't get over the vocals. Hmm. Like I love the vocal, the vocals in this album, I I think are probably his best. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's like Man of War, there's Maiden, there's Battery, there's so much going on in that song. Man of War vibe song in that. There's a real big Man of War. The fucking, the football chants and all. Ooh, (laughs) shit. And Nature is the Devil's Church. Again, a great video. Um, Clips from Haxon, Witchcraft Throughout the Ages. I think, yeah, it was... Killian was involved in that again. That? Killian did all her videos. Yeah. Yeah. So actually to go back to the, the She-Wolves thing, um, Raven Redoran did, she did all the, the comic book and stuff, like did all the drawings of which, which mm. we are planning to get uh, physically printed up um, as well. We wanted it cool. for the new record, but we weren't going to have them in time. It's huge, like 30 pages. It's really big. So Killian then, Killian did kind of put them all into like just the moving camera. And he did then the great beast we serve and uh, yeah, nature is the devil's church. And I think the, the live footage from that is actually footage that Maya shot from our, from some from the last her and some from festivals a few years ago. Ah. And so it's kind of some like, they were, they were like really kind of last minute. They turned out amazing what they are, but almost like. There's kind a beautiful of like, uh, guitar tone right through that song as well. Oh, thank and you. it's and it's linked back to um, she wolves as well. What what pedal are you using, or is there a mixture of few? Oh man, um, it's just that lovely luscious expression, and I'm trying to think now. There's uh, the amps we used. I used my my Mad Amp, my GTL one hundred and twenty. Um, it was my Madame GTO 120. I used a Boss Turbo Overdrive for some parts. I know we reamped through the Madame then using a Maxon, the kind of tube screamer thing. And then pretty much all the leads and all the kind of like texture bits. Yeah. No, mostly a lot of the leads, a lot of the leads and the kind of licks were done all through. Uh, the Moose Custom Electronics, he built this fucking insane, it's like a Sun beta lead preamp, but it was like the bass version, but I used it on guitar anyway. It's like this preamp thing. I just called it the magic box. Um, right. He said he said I could have one for 180 euros and 
it's like a pedal board and like you wouldn't even need a fucking head it's amazing um he's a he's a friend of mine he does like all his um he does he builds all his own effects loads of people use them now he's give really him a shout out what's his name uh, Moose, yeah, Moose Custom Electronics, man. Right. He's okay. fucking, he is the main man. If you like Slomatics, Conan, Monarch, yeah, fuck not, fuck he, I, I, he has a list of bands now. This fucking big, he's he's something else. The man knows tone, um, but yeah, mostly between Moose, um, between my mentor Gary Sloan, uh, shout out to Big Gary, to between my boys. Uncle Francie and Slime Valdi here in Brussels and Shawnee Cads. That's how I got my tone. Oh. <laughs> it's not much to do with me. It was all, oh. all those guys sorting it out. Yeah, but it's, uh, oh, am I right? It's prevalent right. through the album and it's so fucking, it links everything. Uh, great mm. soundscape and texture right through it, you know? Well, with Dread Sovereign, we, like again at the start, like Alan had this idea for sound, but he didn't really get the, not being a musician, he, he didn't understand tunings. He didn't understand frequencies or pitches. Like he had a, mm. a kind of an idea, but we realized really early on, like he loves the big fucking dirty bulldozing bass. So how, how I used to describe it to, to Ola, the, the, he was a Swedish guy who was doing our first recording. It's like, imagine your pint of Guinness. Like Alan is all the black stuff <laughs> and I'm with the creamy foam on top. <laughs> So actually, like, so if you listen to Dread Sovereign, like Alan's bass is the heaviness. My oh. guitar isn't distorted. It's an overdriven guitar. Is it? Yeah, oh. it's mostly just overdriven. Like I didn't use any like distortion pedals. I, I only used overdrive pedals. Wow. And then you know, pushing the amp as well, of course. And like, yeah. but and um, about Alan's bass, it sets the tone beautifully for her it. master's voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's that song is that's all him. But um. But yeah, it's his his approach to the bass. Exactly that is fucking. It's really solid. It's really dense. Yeah. So we, we really Cronus had that sound as well, man. Maybe maybe that's where he's coming from. It, like I mean, Alan. At, at first, he wanted the Lemmy sound, but of course, the tuning we tuned to C standard, so it's immediately the Hellhammer sound. Yeah. <laughs> you know that kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we tried to. We, we, we one time we tried to cover. Uh, we tried to do a Misfits cover. Death comes ripping. And we, we, you know, when we played it the, the, the same notes, but like fucking tuned out, it just sounded like discharge, mm. <laughs> you know? So it's like, it took him as well, like even playing live to figure out, oh, like, oh, just how heavy the bass, you know, to cut through, you know, we all, we all kind of had our teething experiences there. Yeah. So now with Dread Sovereign, like my guitar tone is just usually two JCMs and I use the, the Battle Hammer from Moose, uh. which is kind of like a, in a distortion, a kind of fuzz pedal that I have at a more overdrive setting, but it has a boosting. Uh, so I kind of dance in between that and I'm using two amps. But basically it's just an, I go for like a classic rock sound. Mm. He, he's all the dirt and the heaviness. And then yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of, I'm just a glitter. I'm just a fucking yeah. glitter on top, man. That's well, it. it's, yeah. And Johnny as well, it's the glue that allows you to oh, dance, dance the around them, man. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the, it's it's incredible having I've really noticed as well like the the last tour Johnny is actually not even the last tour the last recording we did I got a I have a heavy metal band here in Brussels that I've you know for the first time ever started like you know trying to record things to a click and it's like fuck man that's a, I I just can't do it I always just oh I've been 
14 years, you know, since, since I was 14 years old, I've been playing with a drummer. That's my click, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're recording bits in Dread Sovereign. And, and how we record with Dread Sovereign is like, play the song. Okay, did you fuck up? Yeah. Did you fuck up? Yeah. Did you fuck up? Yeah. Okay, we all fucked up. Where did you fuck up? Ah, fuck it. It's fine. That's it. Hmm. Okay, maybe this, maybe the outro is better on this take than that take. And, you know, we'll swap them over. So I was saying to the guys, like, maybe we should have a click, like to Johnny, like we'll have a click just so if we need to do some editing, we know we're going to be on the same tempo. And man, Johnny came out, he fucking cut, nearly cut me in half. <laughs> if looks could kill. Like, you know, you'd swear I pissed on his record collection or something. He's like, well, like, you know, it's grand. What are you saying? And sure enough, I thought it was going to be a really big issue. And sure enough, like I was going back through tracks with Johnny and we we're listening to the like, Here's a session he did on Friday and here's a take he did on Saturday. It's the same BPM. It's fucking insane. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. He's just, he's just set to, he's just the same every time. He's I'm sure his heart is big enough to forgive you for that. Uh, full <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you feel, you feel very safe with a, with a man like Johnny King standing behind you on the drum kit. Like and her master's voice him. is very different to all the rest of them. It's, um, it is rock and roll, man. But that's what we were going for from the mm. very start. And I, I said that to Alan as well from the very start. Like we were, I, I don't know if Alan would admit this. I'm sure he would. But like at the start, there was ideas of like, you know, we're going to be, you know, it's going to be hoods up and evil and this and that. And I had to explain to Alan because Alan didn't know me really on it. We were just getting to know each other on a personal level. And it's like, look, I'm, everything I do, regardless of what you call the music genre to me is rock and roll. And the approach is rock and roll. And mm. what you get will be the, the state from the stage show to the interaction to everything will be, you know, it's coming from that school. So like I was saying earlier, when we started touring, it was very fucking obvious that all three of us were cool with the rock and roll, you know, and that kind of, we got used to that. We, and that's, that was our thing. We could go out. It's like, we'll get up with doom bands and they'll have this, yeah. that bit. We know we're going to do that thing, you know? Yeah. Devil's Bane, man. Um, pure venom there, isn't it? Like that, that bass yeah, sounds like a Panzer division. That riff of Absurdium. No, Absurdium. I can't remember. Roman from Possession. He played me this tune. I f fuck. I can't remember the name of the song now. It's got mm. this amazing riff at the start. It's really simple. And uh, I was told, Alan told me to write a, another song. So I fucking, <laughs> I just, I heard that. And I was like, oh, fuck it. That'll do. That'll do. Whip it out. <laughs> but, um, again another thing I, I, I tend to write you, you notice in that song it's like and she was like my riffs can be they can get quite busy mm. and a bit too busy sometimes and things so it's a lot of that is kind of like whereas like Nature's is Devil Church that was probably one of the first things we started jamming together and we were working together as well so it was you know letting the as a guitar player kind of coming to terms with the fact that I've got the best fucking vocalist in metal let him yeah. do the melodies, let him sing the bits, let him get the chorus lines. So we were mm. definitely pushing more, I was pushing more of a, you know, kind of simple open song structures, nothing too technical and everyone gets their chance to shine. And I mean, he's, he's the main guy, it's his band, you know, as well. So I think that just allows it to be so coherent and well-crafted though, Bones. Yeah, well, I'm, to be honest, I'll, I'll take the compliment about it. I'm happy, I'm happy you take that. I'm happy to hear that because for me, one, it's definitely uh, it's definitely the most coherent record we've ever done. Mm. But again, 
as the like we, we were all involved we all did our bit songwriting we all did our bit uh, uh, I'd love a beer thank you uh, we all did our bit you know like there's a lot of arrangements but I'm 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 really fucking hands-on with arrangements and how again like going back to how songs flow and stuff like that and you know there's a really there's a really easy way to make two chords interesting you know that kind of way and it's just it's just keeping it kind of fresh and like yeah. not you know even in your repetitiveness slight little changes and with Alan's you know his confidence his raised confidence in playing from all the gigs and all the tours shit by and large was there was a little bit of butting heads as there always is but by and large we had a, a bigger I don't know a fucking bigger plate to eat from you know there was more yeah. options for us yeah. you know this kind of way mm. Whereas before, there was definitely more, we're kind of limited to what we can actually do. So it brings us up nicely to, we'll disregard the battery song for a minute, uh, Rune. Oh, you know, Tem- it's a cover. What? That's amazing. We get so many reviews where they they think that we wrote that battery I'll song. stop, fuck. It's sake. like one out of, probably about like one in every five reviews is like, oh, and they do a battery cover. <laughs> and the rest are all like, and then... They throw on this weird punk song at the end. I guess it's cool. <laughs> but Rune Upon the Temple Mount, again, an easy choice to end the album. Yeah, hmm. very much so. And that was, again, a kind of, that was very much jammed out in the room. Uh, a lot of that stuff it was Alan's initial idea. He was full of that. Um, the best thing I can say about that song, for me, my favorite part is the outro. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it sounds like it, but maybe that's just because I know it. I think it's on the six minute 30, Alan scream, and then it just... Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the outro, yeah. Kind of thing. And we're mm-hmm. in the studio and I'm like, fuck, this is, a, this is insane. Like, it was a whole new approach. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? It sounds like he's, uh, he's reading a book. And sure enough, I looked through the window and he, he just had some book and he was just belting out these verses like some fucking crazed, like American fucking evangelical. It was intense. It was really fucking intense, but I, I loved it. It was such a... Who the fuck reads a book on a heavy metal record? I thought that was amazing. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. Um, and I, I tell you, it, it lent really well to the whole vibe of the song. But again, that, that was another song that we were like, you know, Alan, Alan will kind of come in with like, okay, I've got this riff and then I've got this riff. And then me and Johnny will kind of, you know, Johnny will make it all flow and work together and I'll make the riffs, you know, there'll be a bit extra on the riffs and we'll have a little tail going into the thing. And everything is kind of pieced around that. But yeah, the... The, that the, shimmering guitar as well, Bones, man. It's fucking beautiful on it. Dances yeah. around the whole rhythm section, man. It's great. Thank you very much. That's probably just a, an extension of my ADHD and short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. there was um, some piano chords at the start. Is that I you? Use, um, yeah, I used loads of... Um, uh, my uh, Gary Sloan and, and Simon is the guitar player from Possession and Terrifying as well they both got into the, they're, they're both two of my favourite guitar players hmm. they've never met each other they're different generations they're different styles but at the same time they both started getting into weird synth effects Okay. and like synth effects things and like Gary Sloan he's like when I was 15 he was in like My Name is Satan The Cabin Boy these amazing bands up north he's like my my fucking idol 
And then like, you know, Simon is younger than me, but this like, he plays like up here. He's fucking incredible. So these guys I really respect. So they're getting into synth pedals. So I'm like, whoa, like it's cool to be into synth pedals. You know, not that, not that I was against it, but I just, I didn't have any. So yeah. they were kind enough. They came, Gary came to the studio, showed me how loads of that shit worked. Kind of sat through me bumbling, fucking up loads of rhythms and leads in front of them. But uh, yeah, loads, of, that was really fun for me to kind of, play loads of those kind of texture bits mm. and Simon as well. Obviously he, he wasn't there in the studio, but he lent, uh, he lent some pedals that I use on, I think great beast. And, and yeah, that last song as well. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. But now, of course, now I'm faced with the, how the fuck do I get this sound live? Yeah. So have- there's um, my follow on question, man, which is going to be the hardest song to play live. <laughs> it depends for who. <laughs> I, I remember if Dinavismus or not Dinavismus, sorry, Freudian slip there, Dread Sovereign would have uh, would have uh, a different answer there. For me, I had, I had just. Do, do you do you play guitar? Do you play an instrument? Bass. Okay, so do, do you have like a pedal board or you fuck around with that shit? I try not to. Okay, go, you're a smart man. You're a fucking smart man. For years, for years, I purposely did not. And then, yeah, yeah. I did. And the last tour, after the whole gigs, like the last gig, I'm like, I figured out my perfect new setting. Oh my God, this this is it forever. And of course, about two weeks after that last gig, we were meant to be going to Dublin to play with Death the Leveler. Mm. I don't know if I, Death the Leveler? Death is the Leveler? Death the Leveler, that band. Um, For their release show. And I'm all like, fuck, you know, like my new set, oh, I can't wait. And of course, Corona happened, all the gigs got cancelled. The record comes out. We're hopefully looking at new gigs again, and I'm have to. I'm going to have to rebuild my entire pedal board, which goes back to the synth pedals. How I yeah, Simon here in Brussels is, and Francois as well is. They they they've they've already said yeah you can you can, if you need let us know. Mm. <laughs> There's a few I've already started acquiring a, a bit of an arsenal here myself, but thong uh, for the whole thing uh, to to pull off. She Wolves of the Savage Season, as it is on the album, will be difficult. And to pull off the songs that I wrote, She Wolves of the Savage Season and Devil's Bane, they'll be they'll be doable, but for me, for me, they'll require a bit of thinking. Yeah. The rest of the guys, the other, the other guys are, are fine. I mean, yeah. the other guys are professionals. I'm the mm. one that's fucking yeah, You can do a bit of cheating, man. <laughs> it got me this far. <laughs> <laughs> We don't know what way the future will roll out in relation to gigs. Um, I presume he had stuff booked in relation to September, was it, or October? We had a lot of stuff. We, well, we, we lost a couple of gigs last year. Mm. Um, and this year, there has, I've been told that, yeah, we've got stuff booked for October, but your guess is as good as yeah. mine. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, man. I, 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 I very much hope for it, but at the same time, I've no fucking idea. I'm supposed and to be. Could, can you her. imagine Alan singing through a mask? I don't think so. <laughs> I'd love to see that. It'd be worth I'd it, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would that even if it had to be an online fucking show, that would be worth it alone. <laughs> but no, I think um, like I mean, there's we've been myself and Alan have been asked to take part in something in April for for another band. Um, which I think will be an online thing, but it, it, in a very more like a, a step in for a song kind of step off, <laughs> not like a gig kind mm. of per se. But 
I'm very curious to if, if that goes ahead to see how that's going ahead. It's fucking weird, man. <laughs> it's, I'm a self-talk guitarist that spent his youth of being 14 years old, surrounded by like drunk punks in a pub, you know, after hours playing. And now I have to get up and do this. It'll be pretty funny. <laughs> man, that's great. It's a great way to end the podcast, man, because I, I could stay here for another hour talking. You're, you're including that, yeah. But the, yeah. the last time I did one of these, we fucking ended up, yeah, it went, it went on really long. <laughs> I guess this is this is the good thing about this. You know, actually, yesterday, the interview I did, the guy, it was for, like, Poland, somewhere in Poland, Metal Hammer or something, and the guy did, um, we did it over Facebook Messenger, hmm. but, like, like typing. And oh. I was like, will this work? And he's like, yeah, no, no, it will. It'll be cool. And looking back, and it, was, it was a really cool interview for him because he can, it's, it's a natural kind of, you know, conversation that can go. But for me, man, I was fucking, I'm getting anxious trying to like, I've got too many words in my head. I can't type them out. Spell check. How do you spell this? You know, kind of, <laughs> for me, it kind of broke up the flow. But yeah, you end up talking to someone. And, and as well, with fucking Corona lockdown things, hearing an Irish accent, I can dig that. So you've been listening to Bones from Dread Sovereign. Check out their new album, All Chemical Warfare. I think it's your best work yet, man. And Thank you very much. You're heading upwards, man, and, and thank you for taking the time to talk to the Metal Cell uh, as well. Thanks for thanks for taking the time and uh, reaching out and doing what you're doing. It's it's cool. I like the uh, I like the buzz, of, like you said, to keep a keep a track of things yeah. as we progress. And it's been a while since I've been back home, so I'm happy to see it's all still firing. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> so you've been listening to Richie from the Metal Cell podcast and check out all the Dread Sovereign's work. They're on Metal Blade. Could be potentially one of the best releases this year. So thank you. Well, Grace, thank you very much. Peace out.